Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected and connected to our Lord and Savior Jesus through his word that we bring to you here each week on this show, celebrating the power of God that is his word for our salvation. Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, who sponsors this wonderful show. Joined in the studio, as always, by Chip Thompson, Jason Eisman, my good friends. How are we doing? Good. Doing good. Morning, everyone. You know, I was going to bring this up on the show just because it was so cool. Uh, this morning, I was online, and I found a website, uh, actually NASA, NASA's website. Okay. And I watched, uh, just for about 20 minutes, a live stream from two Russian cosmonauts that were on the International Space Station doing repairs outside. And it just, the fact that we have reached a, a, a point in technology where you can be working down here on the Earth and watch a video live feed of guys up above the Earth. Uh-huh. And it was just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, we've certainly come a long way since the days of Abraham. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, and, and it, it ties somewhat to Abraham because uh, the whole thing that uh, NASA is working on right now is uh, next year to put an orbiting station around the moon. And as I recall, Abraham originally, when he was Abram, <laughs> worshipped the moon, right? Yes, we're pretty certain he was worshipping the moon, yes. That's a far stretch for a connection to NASA, I, but I, you I, went there and you made it. and <laughs> <laughs> you, you, made, you crossed the finish line but stumbled along the way. Right, uh, sure. <laughs> yep, I am a sinner. <laughs> No, we are uh, certainly grateful for our technology, uh, and, and it comes with challenges too. I sure think, does. especially in our day and age. Uh, but that's kind of with everything, right? We we hold up everything in surrender to the Lord, and we use it only for His purposes and His good, which we're thankful we can do here on this radio show to talk to you who are listening all over Nebraska. Which is a reminder: Hey, if you're listening and you haven't let us know, we would love to hear from you, even if it's just going to eternalconnectionradio.com filling out the form and saying, hey, here's where I'm listening from. Uh, we That's the only way we know that yeah, we have any that would listeners. Be cool. uh, and we have a listener question. We sure so do. So we know we have one listener, and yes. that's great. We're going to open with that question, and then we're going to continue our series on people of the book, looking at uh, Father Abraham, who had many sons, but we're only going to focus on two of them, Isaac okay. and Jacob, uh, as we continue the series, People of the Book. Uh, Chip, why don't you pray for us, and we'll get right into it. Okay. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word, given that we may have life, life in him who is our Savior, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, our King. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds this morning to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
Amen. Amen. Well, as you alluded to, Pastor, we did get a listener question, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got it right here in front of me. So uh, I'll ask it on behalf of the listener, and we'll let you answer. I'll do what I can by the grace of God. Okay. Uh, the listener asks, we as humans are sinners by nature. We have souls, and we cannot save ourselves. The Bible talks about angels longing to look into the salvation we receive, that they do not know the joy we experience as forgiven sinners. Angels and the devil rebelled against God at some point. My question is, are angels eternal like God, or were they created? Is our sin what corrupted them, like it corrupted the rest of creation? And since angels are either good or evil, does the Bible ever talk about if an angel can go from bad to good? I mean, Jesus didn't die for them, right? So I guess three questions, (laughs) which is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one, though. Yeah. Yeah. um, Essentially, to boil it all down, um, angels uh, long to look into our salvation. I believe the listener is quoting 1 Peter one twelve, Okay. um, Where Peter talks about this salvation, but that... Um, it's a salvation uniquely for humanity. That uh, and that's one of the great texts that that I won't say clearly because there's still some ambiguity to it. Only because we haven't been told there is a plan of salvation for angels. Okay. But from that text, from Jude one, um, from Matthew, which I think is a is a powerful text where Jesus says, you know, those that reject him will be sent into the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, clearly, from the language it strongly suggests that there is not salvation for angels. They are different creatures than us. They were not made the same way as us. We were not told that they were created in the image of God. We were only told that we were. Um, So there are clear distinctions between angels and humans. Um, The interesting question he asks is, is our sin what corrupted them like our sin corrupted the rest of creation? And interesting thought, but I think the answer is clearly no. Uh, okay. Because if, we, if we're understanding chronology correctly from the scriptures, Lucifer in that whole instance um, happened separately from our fall into sin because Lucifer was already Lucifer when he came to tempt Adam and Eve. Sure. That fall precedes that. We don't know much about it at all, um, but we couldn't cause them to sin if we weren't there to do it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. um, you know, yes, our sin has corrupted the creation that was entrusted to us. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think it is clear in Scripture that uh, we cannot say angels are saved. Um, okay. We're not given a plan for that, and we actually have some pretty strong texts of which this listener already alluded to um, that, you know, and Jesus himself said, there's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Who are his angels? The ones that rebelled against him in heaven. Right. So he's prepared a place for them. Um, you know, Jude talks about God keeping those angels in chains until the day of judgment. So we have some pretty strong texts that suggest if you are an angel um, and you rebelled, that's it. You know, something that I had never thought of until this question, do we are angels and demons different, or are demons just referring to bad angels? Demons are fallen angels. Okay. Yep. Okay. A fallen angel is someone an angel that rebelled against God. Yep, Lucifer led a rebellion. So um, Lucifer means one of light, angel of light. That that's his his name, and he was head honcho aside from the uh, Trinity, and gathered a group of angels together and rebelled. And that's really all we know from Scripture. Rebelled about what? Well, if you look at his temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, which we did for the past week and a half, or one episode and a half episodes. 
uh, he said, if you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. Well, I think that reveals the heart of Lucifer. He wanted to be God. He wanted to rebel. Again, we, we, we shouldn't even bother going down the road of how does an angel even get to that point. We don't know. Right. We don't know. We're told enough to know what we know, and if God wanted us to know more, he'd tell us. And quite frankly, anything we know about angels doesn't have anything to do with our joy and our salvation uh, other than God's messengers that came to deliver it. Right. What we understand about angels is inconsequential. What we understand and believe about Christ that's consequential, and that's what the scriptures are all about. Even going back as far as Genesis chapter 12, uh, this Jesus who shows up even to Abraham uh, early on in the Gospels, and uh, we're going to be talking about that. And if, if I'm not mistaken, the phrase angel of the Lord, angel of God, referred to G- the I guess the pre-incarnate Christ? Yeah, it certainly could. It also okay. can refer to angels. Angel of the Lord means ones that co- one that comes with his word, his okay. message. But yes, there are times where we believe that refers to the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, cool. So we're looking at Abraham. Abraham um, uh, is uh, one of the most, I think, prominent and referred to names from Old Testament through the New Testament, and that is because he is the one that received the first covenant from God. Uh, After the flood and the Tower of Babel and everything went bad, uh, the world was a mess, Um, God came to Abram at that time. His name was Abram, A-B-R-A-M, later to be renamed Abraham, and uh, came to Abram with the promise that it would be through him that God would bless all the nations of the world that through him there would be a promised child that would save the world. And the first question that kind of comes to mind is, why Abraham? Right. What did he do? Why is he so special? Mm -hmm. And nothing like having a little bit of uh, weight put on your shoulders there. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, But, you know, we certainly don't have time to get through the entire story of Abraham in one episode, but as we'll see in the bits that we'll touch on, uh, that weight really wasn't carried by Abram. It was a weight that the Lord carried with him and for him uh, all the way through. So I know we're taking big, broad strokes, but the world is in disarray. Tower of Babel, God's confused their language uh, earlier in Genesis, and God has to bring his salvation to us somehow. That salvation he promised to Adam and Eve, clearly humanity is not capable of doing it for themselves. Clearly. Right? That's what the Tower of Babel shows. They try and storm heaven by force. So God has to come and do it. And it's fascinating, but should not be a surprise, given how God created creation and everything, that he's going to bring that salvation simply through a word. And the simplicity of this account of God calling Abraham, I think, is what strikes the reader the most, at least for me. If you go to Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kidron and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. I like to mention, mention uh, go from your country. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, is that was that what's the translation of that? Was that still a word in that period as it is today? Yeah, you can think of country as just an area uh, where you belong, a place where you're living, your home region. Uh, if you go back to uh, chapter 11, it tells us that when Abram's father was still alive, Terah, they moved from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, up to Haran, and that's where his father died at 205 years old. So that's where Abraham is, Abram, uh, at the time that God comes to him. So this is where his family landed. So this is home. So you, uh, a perfectly good translation is, Abram, leave home. Leave your kindred and your father's house. So the emphasis is leave everything familiar and go to the land I will show you. And it's important to notice, God doesn't tell him where this land is. He did not give him GPS coordinates. No, and neither did he tell him even which way to start going. But he attached to that unknown the specific promise of what God would do through him. That through Abram, God would bless all the families of the earth. That's pretty big, and... That's one of those where you read it a second time because when I first read Genesis, it didn't uh, stand out as much as it is when we're talking about it maybe in more scrutiny. Sure. Yeah, and, and again, the brevity of this to me is is a large part of the power of the text because if you're reading this for the first time, I remember when I did, I could not wait to find out what Abraham said next. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to say what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yet, what does it say in verse four? God says, go to this land in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it says what? Abraham went. He went. So he went. Now, I'm sure there was a discourse. I would be surprised if there wasn't. But what's the point we're supposed to take away from this? is that Abraham obeyed, which should beg the question, who, I mean, I've always wanted to do a play on this, but put it in modern context. A business executive comes home from work, sits at the table, his wife is sitting across the table, she goes, how was your day? He goes, oh, boy. Um, you know, God talked to me today. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, what did he say? He said we should pack all of our stuff up and leave. And where are we supposed to go? I have no idea. Where? How are we supposed to get there? I don't know. What's going to happen? Well, he said he's going to save the world if we leave the house. <laughs> right? I mean, just put it in modern context and imagine what the responses would be. Most people would start to think, you, you just had some bad tacos. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happened. You are talking crazy town. But... I mean, that, the same thing kind of happens today still. If you sit down and just try and talk uh, Christ or faith or the Bible with somebody, uh, the same type of reaction happens a lot. Sure. And, and I would con, you know, contend that God telling Abram to go is not much different than God saying what he did in the Bible. Sure. And most don't go. 
Right, and it's because we want to know how to get there, how long is it going to take, which direction do we go, and that's will everybody. Will there be snacks? Will there be snacks? That's everybody. And and as you look at this, I guess the point I'm trying to drive home is there's no reasonable explanation why Abraham would do this other than the fact that just like God spoke everything into creation and because he said it, it happened, because God gives the promise that same word of promise gives the faith to believe it. To those who have ears to hear, as Jesus would say. And so that that's going to be picked up later in the New Testament. There's no doubt. The promise of God makes available the faith to believe that promise. And, just like in the Garden of Eden, the ability to be rejected. Abraham went as the Lord told him. And I think that's a, a great lesson for us too. The, the, the Lord hasn't showed us heaven yet, right? Go to this land I will show you. He has promised us a promised land, and we haven't seen it yet. But we believe it because he has said so. And there's no other explanation as to why I believe it other than God did it. And that's the hope. I, if I say I believe it because I understand or I know the directions to heaven or I can calculate when Jesus is coming back, then, then all of that faith, quote-unquote, is coming from me. And that's a hopeless situation. The faith of Abraham is a faith of God, given by God, simply received by Abram. And that's going to get reinforced as you continue through the story. As I said, we don't have nearly enough time to cover everything, but if we fast forward to Genesis 15... God, God restates this covenant. I won't say he, he gives it over and over and over again, but he reinforces this covenant to Abraham several times. And Genesis 15 is another one of those times. Um, Abraham has been through quite a bit already. Just between chapter 12 um, and 15, there's been wars he's had to fight. There's been arguments between him and his nephew Lot. Uh, a lot has gone on. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So God delivered this promise that through him he's going to be essentially have a child. Mm -hmm. And the argument from Abram in the beginning was that I'm old. <laughs> I'm too old to have a child. Some time has passed, some difficulties have passed, and Abraham's starting to struggle. Like, time's running out, Lord. He's well beyond 70 here, 75, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's past the age of childbearing, and so is, is Sarah. She was barren, not just past the age. She never had children. She couldn't. That's what barren means. So, in response to Abram's words, says the word of the Lord. That's just a way, another way of saying God, right? Mm -hmm. But again, what's the emphasis here? The word is doing the work in Abram's heart. It's simply grace. God is aware he has asked Abram to do something very difficult, and God does not ask what he's not willing to give us. And so the word of the Lord that gives faith comes to Abram, and it says to him, 
This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So essentially, what's God's promise there? Abram's having doubts. God doesn't like, as we'll read with Moses, tell him to pick up a stick and it's going to turn into a snake. Uh, No special tricks. He says, just look up. Look up. See the stars? That's how many children you're going to have. It's almost as if God says, oh, you don't believe I'll provide you one child? I'm going to provide you more than you can count. Well, how does that really resolve Abram's issues? (laughs) The hope in it, because if you just look at it pragmatically, God really hasn't done anything to reinforce the promise. Abram's struggling with how God can promise one child in his old age and God infinities down and says, oh, you're worried about how you're going to have one? Well, don't worry. I'm going to assure you you're going to have one because I'm going to promise you countless. Well, how is that supposed to reassure Abram? Well, God said, look up. Look at the stars. You can't count the stars. I made every single one of them. If I can do that through my word, if I tell you you're going to have a child, Abram, you're having a child. And I think that would have been pretty powerful and it proved to be. If you look at verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. And here's the kicker. Here's what Jesus is going to call on later, as we read in John, when he's arguing with the Pharisees. And he says, Abraham's not your father. The devil's your father. Because what you're teaching Pharisees is that you're saved by you. Instead, if Abraham really were your father, then you would believe as he did. And as it says in the second half of verse 6, it would be counted to you as righteousness just as it was counted to Abram. So our righteousness is believing in God's goodness, in his promise. It really has nothing to do with us. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Even in the midst of his doubt, you can still believe, trust the Lord, even with doubt. I would suggest to you that if you don't have doubts, you've never had them, I don't know if you've wrestled with God. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because every person you see in the Scripture, and, and that's important to note because that means that faith is something different from intellect. That's why faith can be had by even a child, an infant. And wouldn't you know that that's the next major section that we see this covenant not just reinforced, but now God gives a sign for the covenant. In chapter 17, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Wow. some a lot there. Uh, Yeah. The interesting part about this is he renames Abraham before Isaac's born. Isaac is Abraham's first son. So he renames him 
because you are the father of many nations. And yet Isaac still has yet to be born. If God says it, it's as good as done. That's the point. I'm renaming you now, Abraham, as if you've already had Isaac. You haven't. But because I've said it, I'm going to rename you. And so we can carry that through even to our baptism, which is where this whole thing is going to get connected to shortly anyway. And that connection starts with verse 10 of chapter 17. God says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So we don't have time to jump into a lot of circumcision, but the point is this. You are to be circumcised, and your children on the eighth day are to be circumcised. Well, what does that show us? That shows us that the promise of God literally comes by grace. What can an eight-day-old do? Right. Nothing. But that was the sign. So it's a sign, God using something already in, in practice, but redeeming it and saying when that's done, when that grace is delivered, even to an infant, that makes them literally a child of God. And you jump to Colossians chapter 2, and Paul the apostle, who used to be Saul the Pharisee, who knew the Old Testament better than anybody hands down, connects this and says, God is the same yesterday, today, and always. When Jesus came and he instituted baptism, you have now been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in baptism. Even if you're baptized as an infant. Why? Well, for the same reason Jesus was circumcised in eight days and all faithful Jews were, that's, that's the sign of the promise given. So we can look to our baptism even that of infants, no less than when they brought their eight-day-old child to receive the sign of God's covenant, his work, his promise. Baptism doesn't have anything to do about us and our accomplishment of faith. That's what the argument constantly is against infant baptism. Right. But if you read Genesis 17 and Colossians 2, you're going to be hard-pressed because the Apostle Paul himself makes the connection. This is marking you, making you, a child of God, and if you think that has anything to do with you any more than God choosing Abram it had anything to do with Abram, that's why you're struggling with it, why you're missing it. No, God's grace alone comes to you and is given to you freely. That way we can look back on our baptism and be confident it has cleansed us, be confident it has saved us, because this is the same God who comes to Abram when he didn't know who God was, the same God who comes to Moses when he's hiding in the desert after killing uh, an Egyptian officer that we'll read about, the same God that's always come to the undeserving and the incapable, even an infant that Jesus says, unless you become like one of these, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he gives us his grace freely. And we believe it. And that faith is what is counted to us as righteousness, just as it was Abram. And that's why he's such a prominent person of the book that's carried throughout. Because his whole story is one of sinful struggle in faith. Surrendering everything to simple faith and trust in God and his word. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.